The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Mike Santoli at the New York Stock Exchange. Morgan Brennan is at the Kennedy Space Center where she witnessed that historic SpaceX all-civilian flight to orbit. Jim Cramer, David Faber have the morning off. Decent pre-market after the best day for the Dow S&P since August. It's all about the eco data today as retail sales come in with that surprisingly strong rebound from the July slump. And the street looks for other signs of a consumer bounce. Our roadmap begins with retail sales surprised to the upside. Is it a sign of waning COVID headwinds. Plus, Canadian Pacific clinching its $27 billion Kansas City Southern deal. CEOs of both companies join us this hour. And a new era for space travel, as we said, SpaceX successfully launching the first rocket into Earth's orbit, crewed entirely by tourists. So the story of the morning is going to be not just retail sales, uh, but Philly Fed, uh, Empire Fed yesterday putting together a pastiche of information that says maybe this Delta lull is behind us? A little bit of affirming of the data. I think that's right. We went through several weeks where data was missing. Uh, you know, the surprise index was negative, and, and the market's got its guard up. I mean, we know that coming into September, uh, actually really evident in the, the weekly um, AAI retail investor poll, real swing toward bearishness, and it, it, we understand why. Uh, we're in this zone where we know the market, the, the economy decelerated. We know the market built up a big head of steam into, into September. And it's been very orderly, though, in kind of pricing in, you know, sector by sector, that kind of uh, slowdown risk. And, and I think arguably at this point, especially if you look at things like energy, I mean, that's kind of a, that's kind of a good or bad or both uh, type thing. Those stocks are, are kind of running right now. And consumer type stocks, consumer leverage stocks have just been sideways in wait and see mode for months. And I think that uh, that it's waiting for this kind of uh, this kind of data to come out. We got a two and a half percent pullback in the S&P uh, over the course of several days, uh, six days in a row down. And you barely kind of put a big dent in the market bounce yesterday because everyone says, well, this is kind of where they bounce now is down three or four percent. Might as well buy it down two and a half percent. To me, tactically, that's where we are uh, in the market. We're still in September. L- last half of September, typically not great either. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion about the repeated bounces on options expiration yeah. past, what, six or seven months. I know uh, Baycrest earlier in the week yeah. said, is this getting to be too obvious of a buy signal? Legitimate question every time, you know, when I, when I notice it and basically say, oh, look at that, 18th and 19th of the month. Uh, what you have had, though, is a sell-off into those, uh, those moments, that third week of the month. Uh, right around the 19th of the month. It's kind of uh, almost silly and seems scripted. But I do think in the absence of surprising, overwhelming macro swings in the numbers or the mood, that's, that's kind of what governs things on a short-term basis. Uh, so we're still in that week. 
uh, still in this window when maybe you could see some of those mechanical influences uh, take over. But yeah, it, it's a question of once everybody knows. It. I mean, look, flows into stocks very aggressive in the last few months. So it's not as if people feel as if they need to rush, uh, but there's definitely an appetite to grab the pullbacks, and, and that's what we saw yesterday. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, a lot of the macro strategists are looking at, um, for example, B of A today. We find evidence that consumers have picked up their spending outside of their home metropolitan statistical area. We need to see further evidence of that in the coming weeks, but if so, it could be an early sign that the Delta lull is passing and a mini reopening cycle is starting. Yesterday, it was J.P. Morgan talked about Delta cases at a downward inflection point, setting up what they said, Mike, would be a powerful holiday season, unlike last year, as we're 100 days away from Christmas. Yeah, uh, it's really tracking with what a lot of the real-time COVID case numbers and hospitalization numbers were saying. You know, the past couple of weeks, people have been looking for that inflection and tracking it, and you haven't had, at this point, a negative surprise with school openings in the Northeast. All that stuff is is feeding into this idea that we know that there is a lot of pent-up savings and spending power and personal income has been high. So, you know, the the, the ammunition is there for a spending boom uh, going ahead. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense uh, that that you have the ingredients for it. We'll see if the appetite's still there. We, you know, it's it's interesting because we are focused on the inflation side of things, cost pressure, supply chain stuff, but it's mostly because of demand for stuff uh, that's exceeding the ability to deliver it. We've now got, I think, it's 60 ships that are awaiting berth between the Port of L.A. and Long Beach. I know uh, Port of L.A. was on Squawk earlier today. I think about a three-week wait time just to unload your goods. Yeah. And we're going to talk about rails and how that also affects the chain of getting imports from overseas. Exactly. And it's, it's this funny moment where the inflation uh, is related to potential slowdown risk as opposed to overheating risk, right? Because those supply constraints are, are pulling back on the potential near-term growth. At the same time, you got some categories of pricing going up. And that's why I think people are a little caught in between in terms of what to worry about. Look, the bond market is, is firm where it's been in terms of yield, up a little bit on the data today across the board, uh, across you know, maturities. And that makes a lot of sense. It's not at all in panic mode on either inflation or growth slowdown at this moment. Yeah. Uh, speaking of all that spending, uh, B of A today upgrades American Express uh, to neutral from underperform. They say uh, we view risk reward as balanced, few negative catalysts on the horizon. Uh, it has underperformed by almost 700 basis points since the beginning of August. Absolutely. It's, a, it's been a good, good time to be on the sidelines for it. And uh, it, it makes a lot of sense. That's also down in sympathy to some degree with a lot of the, you know, the card processors have been down. There's been this fear in there. Uh, you know, Amex has kind of a minor kind of payments uh, network within it. Uh, but, yeah, it's mostly a spending story and it's mostly a business spending story. It's mostly a travel story in terms of, you know, getting that next push uh, higher for, uh, for, for spending on the cards. Uh, makes a lot of sense, I think, in terms of, you know, just field position wise, where people, what have you been most worried about? Fintech threats, consumer slowdown, and, and the stock has given you a little bit of a chance. I mean, you look at that chart, it doesn't exactly right. seem like it's been punished too badly. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, still up almost 40% over two years. Um, obviously, the SpaceX launch last night was a thing of beauty. Uh, Morgan Brennan was lucky enough to see it in person, uh, and it looks like it's just been a beautiful ride so far. Morgan, good morning. Oh, a beautiful night, a beautiful ride. Just before 8.03 Eastern time last night. Five, four, three, two, one. Ignition. And lift off for 15 minutes. 
get So that's SpaceX's Falcon 9 lifting off from here, Kennedy Space Center. Last night, 1.3 million pounds of thrust propelling the all-civilian Inspiration4 crew to space. Now, a few minutes later, the rocket's booster did stick another drone ship landing. It marked the third trip to space for that booster. And actually, it's the first time that humans were launched on one that has flown so many times to space prior. So Elon Musk, who teamed up with Shift4 CEO and Inspiration4 benefactor Jared Isaacman for this mission, was here. He visited with the crew before the Teslas transported them to the launch pad. Those newly minted astronauts, Isaacman, Haley Arsenault, Cyan Proctor, and Chris Dombrowski, are currently orbiting Earth at an altitude of about 363 miles right now. That is higher than both the International Space Station and the Hubble Telescope. Here's Isaacman sharing shortly after liftoff, speaking from space. Now, SpaceX President and COO Gwen Shotwell also issuing a statement saying that this mission is, quote, paving the way for a future where space is more accessible to all who wish to go. This is historic. This marked a number of milestones. First, entirely non-professional civilian crew first black female pilot of a space flight, youngest American in space, and first person with a prosthesis. So as for the experience, no live video feed, unfortunately, but Dragon Capsule does have a cupola. These are the views. This is what the astronauts are looking out of onto Earth and into space. So over the next three days before a splashdown landing, the crew will conduct health experiments. They're even going to do a call with the kids from St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, for which Inspiration4 is raising $200 million. Guys, I think what makes this mission so extraordinary is how ordinary this crew actually is. Yeah, Morgan, I mean, to, to that point, what, when, you, when, when the CEO of SpaceX says it paves the way toward, you know, this, this opening of space to, uh, to anybody who might want to go, what I guess, practically speaking, is this building toward in terms of SpaceX's business or in general, uh, what we'll be able to access? Yeah, so this is one piece. And this idea of crewed missions, whether they're for NASA, which, by the way, they have another one of those coming out the end of next month, whether it's the private crewed missions, because SpaceX has a glowing manifest, growing manifest. They've got missions planned as soon as early next year with Axiom Space, another startup as well. It is just one piece of the bigger, broader SpaceX strategy that also involves returning humans to the moon, something else they're working on with NASA. It involves that broadband mega constellation Starlink for connectivity back here on Earth and then, of course, longer term colonization of Mars. Guys, I'd also just throw up a stock chart right now, and I'll talk about this a little bit later in the hour, but that is Shift 4. Isaac Min is the founder and CEO of that company, and those shares are moving higher uh, in the pre-market right now as he adds astronaut to his list of street creds. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, we'll obviously keep track of it uh, with your help, Morgan, over the next uh, 48 hours or so. Uh, Morgan Brennan down at Kennedy Space. When we come back, the end of a long railroad bidding war. The CEOs of Canadian Pacific and KC Southern join us to discuss their $27 billion deal. Uh, futures a little bit mixed this morning, but the Ecodata, as we said, is the headliner. Claims did tick up to 332 k but it's really only the second uptick for jobless claims since about mid-July. More Squawk on the Street from the NY 
NYC is straight ahead. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. After months of back and forth, Railroad Kansas City Southern has officially terminated its merger agreement with Canadian National, instead opting for a new and approved deal with Canadian Pacific that could create the first single-line rail network linking the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. This is pending regulatory approval. Here to discuss the news, Patrick Odensmeyer, Kansas City Southern CEO, alongside Canadian Pacific CEO Keith Creel. Thank you both for joining us this morning. Uh, welcome to you. Um, lot to cover here. Keith, I actually want to start with you. Um, from an okay. investor standpoint, uh, the voting trust is so crucial to this deal, um, and certainly in focus now as you, as you ink this fresh deal together, um, the fact that Canadian Pacific has already got the green light to implement one of these voting trusts, uh, your rival Canadian National was not able to secure that, which is how we find ourselves talking today. What are the next steps from here? How quickly can this merger now come together? Thank you. Uh, thank you for the question. And let me start by saying, uh, you know, reunited again, I, I can't tell you how happy uh, the CP family is to be partnering with Kansas City Southern. Uh, obviously, when we think about that voting trust, you know, perhaps maybe Pat said this in a previous conversation, uh, that is the ticket. It's the ticket to realizing deal certainty and value for the shareholder. Uh, so that voting trust for the CPKC combination based on our unique facts was approved back in May. Uh, yesterday, uh, we've moved quickly. We've filed an admitted notice of intent with the STB. That's part of the regulatory process, which provides the STB all the details of our merger agreement. We were very intentional not to change any material facts. In fact, the only thing that changed uh, with any materiality at all is the consideration which we provided in shares. Uh, so our debt level stayed the same. Uh, it's a very simple, plain vanilla approach. The trustee stays the same. Uh, we expect that our merger application will be submitted by the middle of next month. That's what we're targeting. And then we've asked for a 10-month review process time path to approval. And with that, uh, with that, we expect to be able to bring these two companies together with full regulatory approval, likely the first part or maybe the middle of the fourth quarter of 2022. Okay. Um, how are you assessing those regulatory risks? I mean, I, I realize the securing of a waiver to have this deal reviewed under old rules presumably goes a long way in that process. But on the flip side, you do have a Biden administration that is taking a tougher stance on consolidation in industries, including rail right now. Yeah, well, we actually see uh, the Biden administration's actions and, and the STB's mandate and even their responses uh, on the CN's trust application is favorable for our facts. The facts have always mattered. I said that from the very beginning. 
this unique combination truly is pro-competition, pro-growth. There's no overlap with these networks. Uh, there's It's hand in glove here in Kansas City where we're sitting today. We've co-located, co-owned, and operated for over 80 years. Uh, this is the only place our two networks touch. There's not a single customer that gets left out. It's not about winners and losers. It's about winners. We've got customers with more options. We've got competition that gets injected that doesn't exist today because effectively it gives us a level playing field to compete better with uh, UP, BNSF, CN, CSX, and NS for customers' traffic. Uh, so, again, if you have those positive facts that bode well supporting competition, I don't believe that you need to be concerned. In fact, in fact I think it complements the Biden administration's agenda to protect and enhance competition, uh, which we fully intend to do. Mm, okay. Uh, it's been a really dramatic six months. Pat, we haven't spoken to you through the process, um, but given the fact that you did initially strike a deal with Canadian Pacific back in March at a lower price, then Canadian National swooped in with a higher bid. You went with that offer instead until the regulators put up the road, roadblocks. And now uh, we find this combination moving forward uh, from here as well. I'm just wondering how how you would recap the last six months and whether you were surprised by all the goings on of it. Uh, it's It's been a fast and furious six months. It's actually been longer than that, but uh, uh, just this last phase of it. Uh, all I, I will say is that, uh, you know, the Canadian Pacific, uh, Kansas City Southern uh, combination uh, made tremendous sense in March. It makes tremendous sense now. As Keith mentioned, we don't overlap by a single mile. We don't even overlap by a single yard. We come together here in Kansas City. Their network is north and across Canada. Ours is south and across Mexico. Uh, obviously, uh, when uh, the Canadian National came in with a higher bid, our board had an obligation to consider that bid. Uh, and, uh, and I think our board really did a great, uh, put a, a, a tremendous amount of effort with great advice uh, to pursue that. But our board has also been very focused all along with this trade-off between value and certainty and risk. And uh, of course, as things develop with the Surface Transportation Board's decision, uh, that, uh, that, that led our board to a different decision. So uh, here we are with a merger that uh, we feel very good about that creates a historic, transformative, one-of-a-kind North American network that, uh, that we are very excited about. So, Pat, given the fact that this is going to create such a unique network, what's the potential from a cost perspective and a revenue standpoint? Well, I'll, I'll uh, answer that quickly and then ask Keith, but uh, the, the, the merger is all about growth. There, there will be some cost efficiencies, obviously. That's uh, usually the case with merger. But if you look at where the synergies are going to come from, the synergies that we've described, it's all about revenue growth. And uh, again, we think it's because of the power that this network is going to have, the coverage that this network is going to have in very large and very competitive freight markets that's going to drive that growth. Yeah, to add a bit of color to yeah. that, it's, yeah, it's about a billion dollars of EBITDA synergies and you know, the lion's share of that of over 800, I think 820 million we're targeting that are all growth-based revenue, um, you know, across, you know, taking our origin-rich network and, and partnering with KCS's destination-rich network and creating that seamless service to create some supply chain solutions and shipment options that shippers just can't enjoy today that are, that are not possible without this combination. That's what's going to drive 
and it's across all buckets. It's not just any one business unit. It's intermodal growth. It's taking trucks off the highway, putting them on the rail, which is not only going to help the railway overall. It's going to help. Uh, it's going to help the trucks. It's going to help the highways. It's going to be positive for the environment. It's going to drive job growth. It's ag product. It's it's chemicals. It's energy. Uh, it's automotive. It's all four of those areas that that make up that and, and a very diverse opportunity for this company. Mm, and certainly this all comes amid a backdrop of not only an ongoing trend of nearshoring, updated trade pact uh, across North America as well. But, Pat, uh, not a day goes by right now that we don't have a CEO on our air who is talking about transportation bottlenecks, supply chain constraints, and the impacts it's having on networks and having on, on their own companies. How is that affecting Kansas City Southern right now and, and the rail industry at large? Well, it's putting stress on all of us, but I think we're all focused on uh, making the capital investment and improving the service to, to respond to that. But, uh, uh, and, and a lot of this, as you know, has been driven by just a massive and very uh, rapid shift in how consumers are spending their money. They're buying things instead of uh, spending on experiences. So it's challenged all of the you know, supply chains, uh, all modes of transportation. Uh, and I think the uh, again the the uh, we we talk a lot about the advantage of single line service. Uh, maybe a lot of people don't understand that, but when we can run a network across the entire continent that has a common operating philosophy, common long term capital investment uh, policy, the utilization of equipment and resources, that just eliminates a lot of opportunities for. Uh, cost and time to be added to these supply chains. So this North American footprint is going to be uh, very attractive, I think, to address those supply chain issues in the, in the long run uh, once we get to the point where we can integrate and actually yeah. attract investment to North America. All right. We have to leave the conversation there. But, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. Patrick Odensmeyer and thank Keith you. Creel. Thanks thank for having us. Take another look at the futures here as we uh, kick off this Thursday session. Got a lot to get to, including some upgrades of DoorDash and Cisco. Got a new street high on Chipotle, downgrade of Beyond Meat, and uh, a downgrade of some Macau names facing pressure once again. Don't go anywhere. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. The opening bell uh, just a few moments, moments away. The uh, index futures are mixed. The Dow looking to follow yesterday's gain with some slight upside. Be right back. We've been talking about the SpaceX launch, uh, but the news is not all good for Elon Musk today. Published reports say two of Kathy Wood's ARC funds sold more than 81,000 shares in Tesla yesterday, representing a value of about $62 million. So far this month, ARC funds have sold about $266 million worth of Tesla shares, which is already an outsized proportion of the overall fund. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in the flagship fund, I think it's still over 10%. In the past, 
ARC has come up against position limits where they trim back on Tesla. Uh, but also, it's an actively managed ETF without a lot of cash position. So you have to sell something usually to buy something unless you have big inflows. And uh, that seems to be the reshuffling. Tesla stock actually started to act pretty well off those lows, though. It's worth noting. Uh, it's getting this little uptrend. But a year ago, it was around 400, as we can, you know, remember back to those times before it was admitted to the S&P 500 and started to raise higher. Yeah. Actually, autos uh, did pretty nicely yesterday as yeah. well. Been a strong this week, yeah. Uh, although Volkswagen today does say that the chip shortage they see lasting into the second half of 2022. There's the opening bell and the CNBC real-time exchange of the big board. It's identity security platform Forge Rock celebrating an IPO today at the NASDAQ ProSep Pro Bio Robotics, a surgical robotics company. Got to take a moment just to quickly mention the IPOs yesterday. All but one had gains of at least 40 yeah. percent as the market's absorbing some of these new issues. Yeah, um, a couple of buzzy consumer oriented names with a little bit of brand resonance and, you know, Dutch Bros Coffee and uh, On Running, I think it was, right? It's the, the running shoe company. Oh, on Holdings, yes. On Holdings, yeah. Uh, which, you know, it, it, we've seen a handful of these uh, on balance. IPOs have actually not been great performers. It's kind of been half and half in terms of 2021 vintage IPOs, especially some of those consumer names, whether it's like a Krispy Kreme or something. I actually think it's one reason that long short hedge funds have a little bit of a, uh, something to work with this year between SPACs and, and some of the IPOs that come out looking a little bit overripe. Um, they've, you know, they've actually made some hay. But yesterday, very good performance. Yeah. Bros. It was a very caffeinated group at the closing bell <laughs> yeah, yesterday. Yes. I can tell you that. Yeah. I can imagine. At the open here, you're going you're gonna to be led by uh, some financials as we keep our eye on e- yields. But the banks are going to have a very nice morning, uh, along with some travel names as we work our way through some of the uh, internals of the retail sales print. Here's Pantheon Macro, uh, Mike. The bottom line suggests Delta fears aren't stopping people from spending some of their abundant cash on goods, even as they retreat. Yeah. from services, it will trigger a wave of upgrades to forecasts for Q3 consumption and GDP growth, which has been trimmed over the last couple of weeks. It absolutely has. Uh, I think most of uh, you know the, the Atlanta Fed, real-time GDP numbers down below 4%, 3.7 for this quarter. A lot of folks basically saying, take down third quarter, maybe bump up fourth quarter and into next year. And that gets to the point where we're talking about mostly spending deferred, not spending, you know, eliminated from the future. And, and you know, again, it's because of the high savings uh, across the economy and the, and the, the personal income growth that seems like it's a, uh, able to bolster things. You know, it's going to change the pace. It's about the pacing uh, of the economy more than anything else. And whether things like energy costs as we get further uh, toward the winter are going to be at least a psychological impediment. I mean, a lot of people are pointing to this sort of, well, remember in 2011, we had a fragile recovery and we didn't know what the Fed was going to do. And we had this debt ceiling shenanigans going on in 2011 and oil was going to 100. You know, and that all together gave you a, a kind of a recession aftershock scare. The thing is, the policy situation right now is so much more generous. Uh, you have household balance sheets in great shape. There's no solvency issues, whether we're talking about governments or banks. It's a very different environment, but I think there's still that echo of, of what we were dealing with them, even if it's a pale version of it. And by the way, $100 oil 10 years ago is a lot higher than $70 oil today. Yeah. Uh, the, the people will point out we've never had a recession really where you didn't see yeah, $100 exactly. crude. Uh, but to your general point, Greg Gipp has a great piece in the journal today, basically l- looking at the success 
maybe not of health policy in this country, yes. but fiscal policy and, and, and uh, economic policy, says it's uh, we're in a much healthier place than we could have imagined in spring of 2020, and that's worth celebrating. You, may, uh, you saw some of the Dow leaders there. Amex is in the lead uh, on that upgrade we mentioned, but uh, number two is Cisco, uh, upgraded over at Credit Suisse and added to the focus list at J.P. Morgan on the heels of that investor day. Uh, they say that... Uh, the inv- sentiment's been cautious, yeah. uh, but that's going to change as they execute on their long-term guidance. That's the word from Credit Suisse. And, of course, Chuck Robbins did talk to Jim last night on Mad Money. Here's what he said. Our supply chain team is rated number one in the world by Gartner, not in the industry, but in the world. And so we're doing everything we can to meet our customers' needs, which is the most important thing that we, we see. But we're definitely revenue-constrained right now because of the supply issues that we're feeling and the component shortages. That's, that's going to tailor almost every bear case in, in some element of tech. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, Cisco, I mean, as a company, the way the stock is valued, it doesn't need some kind of dazzling growth story for the stock to work pretty well. Five to seven percent top line guidance over a number of years, uh, similar earnings growth heavy free cash flow generation. I mean, it's a 16 times earnings company. So all it really needs is some confidence that those things can be met and that, you know, you're not going to have some kind of GDP shock along the way because Cisco was a lot more sensitive to to global demand than we thought back in the day. Uh, But yeah, it it seems to be working pretty well. It's kind of this shareholder yield story, both dividend and buyback is is pretty much at the core. I know you were looking at the the CMG call as Piper puts a street high. What's their target? Is it 2,600 now? They were at 2,235. It's it's sort of fascinating. I mean, the stock has worked remarkably well. It's it's gotten this embrace by investors who, who basically say, okay, it's one of the elite uh, consumer growth stories along with whatever it is, Nike and, uh, and, and Starbucks and things like that. But you have to strain to get further aggressive upside price targets from here. I mean, I think the consensus price targets right at where the stock was trading around 1880. So to get to those levels uh, of 2600, you're talking about a target multiple of 47 times next year's enterprise value to EBITDA, to cash flow. The stock has never really traded there. I mean, it did for very briefly yesterday in the com- uh, last year in the comeback from the lows. Uh, but, you know, you go back 18 years since Amazon traded there. NASDAQ traded at that kind of zone mm. for a few years in the, in the late 2010s. My point is, it's like the elite kind of valuation. But the core case is that they have so much runway to add stores. And it's so rare to have one of these companies as great returns on capital, all that growth potential, and all that consumer loyalty and everything working at once. Final point is, it's 52 or $53 billion market cap. There aren't huge cap restaurant stocks. Like if you, I mean, McDonald's is 180. There's not a lot of them. Yeah. And so it's got this almost scarcity value of, of, of large cap or mega cap, uh, you know, kind of restaurant concepts that are working. So that's why I think you can, you have to get aggressive to, to, to say buy them here. Yeah. Uh, speaking of restaurants, um, DoorDash is... Uh up almost uh, almost four and a half percent, the highest since February, as um, we get an upgrade uh, over at um, uh, B of A. They go to buy Target 255. Talking about the non-restaurant TAM, uh, Mike, they, yeah. they believe that over time you're going to get things that are uh, non-restaurant, non-food applicable retail. They see going from 2 percent to 10 percent uh, in the next, say, five years. But yeah. we get, you know, the headline risk is there, uh, whether it it's is. Amazon or 
lawsuits with the New York City or what have you. Feels like it's sort of chasing the stock, which it really has, you know, come back from the depths, um, you know, early this year. I don't think it's changed the overall story of do we really know exactly how great a business this is longer term. Uh, you're doing the hard part. You know, you're trying to pay people to, to do the last uh, few hundred yards of delivery. So, uh, you know, fair enough that the total addressable market is very large or, and growing and people are in the habit of, you know, doing the Postmates thing. I just, you know, you have to wonder about what the economics look like, uh, you know, down the road. Uh, but again, not that many claims on the pure convenience delivery economy in DoorDash, you know, is one of them. Yeah. The other headline making some news today is uh, Maersk, shipping giant, uh, raising their guidance uh, again on the tail of, uh, of longer delays yeah. in shipping and higher uh, at least spot rates, which some have argued may be peaking, but in Merck's view, there's going to be strength next year. And we're going to get FedEx next week as well. Going to give yes. us another touch point on where we are in supply. For sure. Um, shipping stocks, not that there are that many of them or they're that big, have done very well. So that's kind of percolating through. There's, there's absolutely a, a kind of global reflation theme under the surface between what's happening with energy. Again, it's a supply story. Uh, in, in, in large part, plus the shipping uh, piece of it. So uh, what's friction and, pr- and margin squeezing for a lot of companies is obviously working to some benefit uh, to those out there. We are getting some breaking news out of the Fed. Eamon Javers has it. And Eamon, I'm going to guess uh, it involves somewhat uh, Elon, sorry, Elon Mui. I'm going to guess it involves uh, some of the ethics rules behind holdings that Fed officials can have. Well, that's exactly right. The Federal Reserve is announcing that it is examining its ethics rules for financial holdings after two Fed presidents came under fire for some of their financial transactions. In a statement, the central bank said that Chairman Jay Powell has directed staff to take a fresh and comprehensive look at the rules to identify ways to tighten those standards and that it will make changes as appropriate to the Fed's code of conduct. The Fed also said the trust of the American people is essential for the Federal Reserve to effectively carry out our important mission. Now, of course, Dallas Fed President Robert Kaplan has faced intense blowback over millions of dollars in stock trades from last year. Also, Boston Fed President Eric Rosengren facing criticism from his stake in several REITs. Both have pledged to divest those assets. But just today, Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren called on the Fed to prohibit officials and staff from trading individual stocks. So we will see how far this ethics review goes. But the central bank, again, announcing today that it will be examining its code of conduct and looking for ways to tighten standards. Guys, back to you. All right. Uh, interesting. Uh, on the heels of uh, that controversy in the last couple of weeks, Elon, thank you. Uh, it's our Elon Moy. Um, what else strikes you today? Uh, you know, going to watch the, the, the energy sector. Uh, was, you know, a lot of the technical work is, is saying, OK, this actual rebound might have some legs, um, not, not so much on crude itself, but on the stocks. And it, it's an area where I do think that, uh, you, you know, you want to see if, in fact, we're going to rekindle and swing back toward some of that cyclical mode. So, uh, you know, nothing really too dramatic on that front. Here. But it is the consumer stocks that are t- taking their cue uh, out of the, uh, at, you know, uh, at the jump off of the retail sales number. Synchrony Financial is a good one to watch, which, of course, is, uh, is credit cards. And uh, that's one of the leaders in the S&P right now, uh, as well as, uh, as Gap and, uh, and Bath and Body Works and Discover. So the consumer credit names, you got the Amex upgrade. It feels as if, you know, the market reveals itself in terms of what it was worried about, you know, two hours ago, which was that maybe the, the, the consumer was a little soft. Yeah, the, the, the one last thing I would add we didn't touch on is Macau. Uh, J.P. Morgan today, they do cut win in Las Vegas Sands to neutral. Uh, this review of licensing, 
in Macau by China, they say, could implicate or could have implications for patron spend, as well, like they say, as the reduced ability to repatriate free cash flow back into the U.S. if and when that looks like it's doable. Exactly. You know, uh, a lot of stuff that people figured wasn't going to have to be an issue for a while, although they also do say that they don't believe sort of the relicensing story is necessarily going to be a, a major risk. These stocks are getting super washed out. I mean, you're, you're coming in right now and saying, oh, we're going to downgrade them. Fine. I mean, you basically have to say it's just too hard, you know, to figure out what comes next. Uh, but, you know, they, they look, they're going back toward March 2020, uh, you know, type existential threat level. So, you know, we'll see if there's some final purge. There's often been this thing with China, uh, you know, crackdown type stories where there's sort of like, first the stick and then the carrot, or it's kind of like the bad cop first. And then the Where's the cop. carrot? There's not. It hasn't let up. You yeah. know, it hasn't been like, oh, we, made, we got our point across. Now we're going to actually let you go back to business. It hasn't happened this yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, just the one reason why Tencent is now out of the top 10 global companies, right. meaning no Chinese company is in the top 10 global company list right now. After Which that is crackdown. stunning given how a few years ago, China fought so hard to make sure that, you know, the A shares went into the MSCI indexes and it was considered to be the signature moment that they were going to be recognized in the global equity uh, complex. So Dow hanging on to 35 points this morning. Let's get to Bob Bassani. Hey, Bob. Good morning, guys. Uh, Flattish open, despite the fact that August retail sales and Philly Fed, notably Philly Fed, much better than anticipated. Let's take a look at the sectors. Remember, it's not that bad so far in September. We're down about 1%. Banks up today as uh, yields are up a little bit. But banks have been really sideways since February. Not a big momentum player at all. Retail's up on the better numbers. We see apparel doing a little bit better, auto doing better. Uh, as well. Uh, Industrial is kind of disappointing, a little flattish here. So big names, your Honeywells, uh, 3M, uh, not really doing much at all today. Uh, Tech is down because there's some weakness in semiconductors. And China is just a mess. I mean, forget about the casinos. They've got some other big problems I'll get to in a minute here. The thing that I'm most concerned about is we've been seeing a very slow deterioration in the advanced decline line. And that is very closely watched by technicians uh, as a sign of when you have either near-term or long-term market tops. Uh, About 15% of the S&P 500 is uh, 20% below their 52-week highs. That's kind of a significant number, but more so if you get deeper uh, down uh, into the the lower uh, market caps, uh, about 30% of the S&P mid-cap and almost half of the S&P small caps are 20% or more off of their 52-week highs. And this is largely, as you would expect, sectors that are exposed to the reopening story, uh, where in some cases they're reconsidering the extent of the reopening around the COVID variant. So if you take a look at some of the big industrials, obviously uh, travel stocks like uh, airline stocks have been weak, but FedEx is 20% off its high. Uh, some of the big material names like DuPont, also PPG is 20%, Caterpillar, Stanley Black & Decker, Lockheed Martin, 3M, about 12% off the highs. But you get the point here. Uh, with the S&P only 1% off of its high, these are fairly significant. Same with the retailers. Uh, they topped out many, many months ago in the earlier part of the year. And some of these, like Nordstrom, are significantly off their high. Abercrombie, more than 20% off the highs. Kohl's Raw Store discounters always do a little bit better. But still, this is not a great performance, considering how well they were uh, looking in February and March of this year. The China slowdown, particularly the decline in retail 
retail sales around the COVID concerns. It's really affecting the luxury retailers. A lot of these are based in Europe. Uh, Caring, Tapestry, Richemont, Movado, LVMH. LVMH is a monster over there. That's a $375 billion market cap. It's one of the biggest companies in Europe. It would be a top 15 if it was in the S&P 500. So uh, that is weighing uh, on many of the European indices. Home builders also a week. We see supply chain and labor problems affecting the ability of some of the home builders to fully deliver on their orders. So Pulte had that issue. We see them all off about uh, 11, 12, 14 percent. There's been concerns about drug control prices from the Biden administration. This is a completely separate issue to COVID, of course, but that's been weighing on big pharma and these have big market caps. So that's another sector of the market uh, that's been weak recently. So there are pockets of, uh, of problems here, even though technology and communication services continue to hold up. Finally, around China, I know we're a a bit concerned about the casino stocks. I just want to point out what's going on with Evergrande. This is one of the probably two largest property developers in China. Huge, huge company. And we're talking about $300 billion in debt out there. There's a lot of concerns here, and that's weighing on the Chinese market there. This is an issue for the high yield market globally. A lot of people have gone around the world trying to get high yields, uh, even higher yields than they're getting in high yield market in the United States, which is below 3% right now. So you want to keep an eye on this. It's not easy to get exposure to China high yield. There's not many that do. HYEM, some of the emerging market high yield funds uh, are out there. So I don't think there's a big contagion around this. But just be aware, Carl, that a lot of people in the United States have been going overseas trying to find high yield. And, you know, this could be a potential issue. Back to you. All right, Bob. Thank you, Bob Pisani. When we come back, how some space stocks are moving after last night's historic SpaceX launch. First, though, get a look at the bond report, see how treasuries are faring on the heels of not just retail sales, but also jobless claims. Philly Fed stronger than expected after Empire beat yesterday. Got the 10-year back up almost to 135. Dow has gone red, though. We're down 50, and we'll be right back. back to Squawk on the Street on the heels of last night's historic SpaceX launch, the Inspiration4 launch. I just wanted to take a broader look at the movers in the space sector. So we're going to start with Virgin Galactic, which is the other, or I guess the publicly traded space tourism, private space travel name. That's actually trading higher uh, right now in sympathy. Two very different types of flights. Virgin Galactic is suborbital and lasts minutes. What we saw last night from SpaceX is multi-day and orbital spaceflight. But nonetheless, it all speaks to this major milestone in this long-anticipated process of the democratization and normalization of space travel for everyday people. Some of the other names, many of them newly public uh, in the rocket space right now, Astrospace, Rocket Lab uh, moving as well. Boeing is trading about flat. Obviously, the commercial piece of Boeing's business tends to get investors' attention a little bit more, but they do have the space portfolio. They are a direct competitor to SpaceX, where these types of orbital missions for NASA and ultimately, potentially, private spaceflight are concerned as well. Lastly, just want to point out Shift4 Payments. This is the payment processing platform that was created and is run by Jared Isaacman, the inspiration for benefactor and commander, uh, the man who basically created the mission that we are now covering today. And as you can see there, those shares are actually trading higher as well, uh, guys. And perhaps it's because he is now adding astronauts to his list of street credentials. And this mission is 
going successfully. Coming into it, we had seen those shares under a little bit of pressure. Lastly, I'll just say coming up in the 10 a.m. hour, so in the next hour, we're going to be speaking to another man who has astronaut as a credential, and that is the NASA administrator, Bill Nelson, who probably more than just about anybody else can speak to some of the sensations and feelings that these civilian astronauts are feeling right now in space. Uh, it's nice to have an administrator who knows what it's like, Morgan. No question. We look forward to that. Dow's down about 33 points here as we continue to process some eco data and a lot of analyst calls today. More Squawk on the Street continues in a moment. Congress is targeting the so-called Mega Roth IRA retirement account. Robert Frank joins us now to explain what it is, what might come of it. Robert. Well, good morning, Mike. Well, this is a retirement tool that was designed to help the middle class with a secure retirement. Instead, it's also become a popular tax shelter for the wealthy. Now, the House Democrats, well, they're taking action. The number of IRAs with more than $5 million in assets has tripled over the past decade to 28,000. Those with accounts over 25 million now have 53 billion in assets. So the latest House plan includes a series of measures that would prevent the wealthy from using these for their own benefit. First of all, it would effectively limit IRA accounts to $10 million. Once the balance reaches $10 million, taxpayers can no longer make contributions. If the balance of your IRA, Roth IRA, and defined benefit plans total more than $10 million, you have to distribute half of that amount over $10 million until you get that balance down. And finally, the rules close the so-called backdoor Roth IRA. To get around the income limits right now on Roth IRAs, wealthy savers were contributing to IRAs and then converting them into Roth IRAs, which are, of course, more tax beneficial. The new rules prevent those who make more than $400,000 a year from those conversions. The House also seeking to limit the kinds of investments you can put into IRAs. Remember, ProPublica revealed that billionaire Peter Thiel placed private shares of PayPal in his Roth IRA, which grew into the largest tax-free IRA ever at $5 billion. Carl? Wow. Between the IRAs and the ETFs, uh, tax discussion uh, on this bill is getting really interesting, Robert. Thank you, uh, Robert Frank. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.